Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to have you back again. Um, I've got a great guest with me today. I'm really excited about this guest that we're gonna we've got I've got on today. Um, but before I get to that, just a little just a little plug uh, for our new uh, Perma Podcast Facebook community. Um, um, it's a sacred space that I've created for people who listen to the podcast to discuss the things that we talk about on the podcast, all the different topics, issues, stories that we um, that we hear on the podcast, and to share our own stories and to have solidarity and community and uh, and friendship and uh, yeah, um, I'd love you to be part of that group. It's called Poema Podcast, continuing the conversation, and it's on Facebook, and you can go and join that and um, introduce yourself. I'd love to see you there. Um, so back to the, today's episode and uh, I'm excited to welcome Meredith McDaniel to the show. Welcome to the show Meredith. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah me too. Me too. Um, this has been this has been long coming. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, Meredith is a um, is a licensed professional counsellor. She has her own practice, which is, has a really beautiful name called Milk and Honey. Um, and she's also a graduate of uh, Theological Seminary, and now she's written a book, um, which we're going to talk about today, which I'm really excited about. So just tell us a bit of your story, Meredith. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. And... Um, I think uh, a good place to start is actually with the name of my counseling practice. So um, with the idea of milk and honey, I think my whole life I have sort of had this longing and this ache in me for things to either be different or be better than they are. Mm-hmm. So there's always been this uh, kind of sense or feeling in my spirit that um, something is missing and that something's just not right quite right here on earth. Um, And I see that not only in my own self and my own being, but also when I look around at the stories of other people in my life. And I really honestly think I felt that way since I was a child, Um, but I didn't really have the language for that probably until, you know, middle school, high school, when you start to become more aware of who you are as a person and as an individual and how you fit into the world. And you start asking those big questions of, um, who am I and who is God and why am I the way that I am? Why are other people the way that they are? And I would say when I got into college, I started going to actually therapy myself and started doing a little bit more self-discovery and looking deeper into my own story. Um, that That is when this kind of concept of um, really what we hear about in the Bible, talking about longing for the land of milk and honey, Uh, kind of really started to be like a lens in my life. And so um, I ended up deciding to go on to grad school and went to seminary to get my master's in counseling. And um, then I had to name my counseling practice. And to me, it just made perfect sense that I would call it milk and honey because not only does it sound um, soothing and healing and therapeutic, uh, but it also speaks to this deeper ache that we have um, as a human um, in this broken world and these broken bodies that we have. And I just really felt like I wanted to be able to try to help other people uh, delve deeper into their stories so that they could find some hope right here on earth where we are, mm. not just always longing for heaven, where we know that it's going to be overflowing and abundant, 
but trying to kind of dig that up here on earth, um, right where we are. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I'm happy to go um, deeper into some of that, but that's kind of the big picture. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You said you had therapy when you were younger. Um, so yeah. was there a kind of a reason was for that? Was there, were there circumstances that led to that happening? Yeah, I would say, uh, so I started going in college and, um, I really wanted to figure out why I kind of felt this ache all the time, you know, like everything could be going fine in my life, you know, in quotes, air quotes. Um, mm. but internally I just still felt, uh, unsettled, like something could be better. And, um, so I think that there wasn't anything, any one thing necessarily circumstantially, um, probably a few things, but really it was more that internal state that I just couldn't put my finger on, um, why does my heart hurt even when things are good around me? Um, and then especially why does it hurt even more, obviously when, when things are hard and, um, you know, people around me, I had, I had been exposed to a lot of, um, like diagnoses and uh, loss in my life growing up, just the people that were really close to our family um, had passed away from cancer. Actually, a friend of mine in high school died in a fire that was arson. Um, wow. My, my sister's dear friend um, was killed in a car accident on his way to um, serve at our local soup kitchen to make breakfast for homeless uh, people in our town. And it just wasn't all adding up to me. You know, I kind of started asking these big questions like, um, if God is good and um, he loves us and he's supposed to hold the whole world in his hands, why does it feel like, you know, these hard, hard things, um, really permanent things as far as death, right, are happening around me and to people that I love? Um, and I couldn't really make sense of it. So, yeah. Mm. I guess that's kind of what informed me going initially. And I actually had some friends who were really honest about going to therapy themselves and realizing, okay, like the stigma that I always thought in my head, like you're falling apart, then you go to therapy, that it's actually, it can be preventative care um, and can kind of um, dig up some things that you're struggling with that you might not even realize. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what probably sparked it for me was maybe friends saying, yeah, I've been going to a counselor. And I thought, oh, that means I could do that too. And maybe get some extra support. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's a very wise thing to do at a young age. Not many people mm-hmm. choose to do that at a young age unless they've been through some personal trauma. Um, yeah. And I know that you've been through a lot of difficult, difficult things. I mean, it sounds like you experienced a lot of grief as a child. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with that as well. I, I lost a parent. I lost a parent at a young age, uh, relatively young age. You know, yeah. so I'm, I'm, yeah. When I was 23, um, yeah, my mother yeah. passed away. So I'm kind of, I understand what you might have been feeling, like that, that feeling of, yeah. Where, what, how does, how does this work? Where does God fit into this? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I make sense of this? What's, you know. Um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 We want so badly to be able to wrap our minds around things that happen. And there's so much, I have found that there's so much more mystery to this life than there is a little quick formula to just fix things and fix the way we feel. 
Um, I actually just recently watched the movie Mr. Rogers. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Oh, I really want to see that movie, yeah. Yeah, but he just does such a beautiful job. They did a beautiful job with the film of really speaking into that, these underlying feelings that we have that really impact and affect every single part of our life, especially our relationships um, that we could ignore our whole life and never really get to fully experience uh, the true relationships and connection that we want. Um, or we have a choice to sort of dig into our story and figure out like what's at the root of everything and, um, and then find some healing there. And uh, mm. yeah, it's a great movie. I highly recommend it. I'll be looking for that one. I don't think they released it here because it's because Mr. Rogers is quite is a kind of an American tradition, right? And most people here don't know who he is, right? right. <laughs> and so I don't think they released it in, released it here. But I will be watching that because I, I did see all the the trailers and everything and loved it. So um, yeah. um, and I did my research on Mr. Rogers and it was like, wow, this is quite amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I yeah, I'm excited to see that movie definitely. Um, yeah. and you're right I totally agree with you it's like I mean, this is something that I've had to do is you go you only deal with the pain when you go into the pain when you lean into it when you actually choose yeah. to go to the valley yeah. uh, and confront it rather than building structures around it which we do in all sorts of different ways we can do it with with um, addictions we can do it with religious mm-hmm. certainty we can do it with mm-hmm. all kinds of other things um yeah. And uh, we just because we just want to run away from the pain, but the healthiest thing to do is to go into it with with a support network around you, with community around you, with you know professionals. Um, yeah. You know, all of that's really important, but yeah, to actually go into it is the only healthy way out of it. It's so true, and I think we tend to want to do things on our own. We don't want to admit. Mm. Uh, that we need other people or that we need any sort of extra help or support beyond ourselves. But um, I'm here to say as a counselor that uh, I have my own counselor and it's, it's a lifelong process. It's not something that, you know, you just arrive one day and you've got all of life figured out. Uh, I think it's going to be until we take our, our last breath, we're going to be trying to figure out what it looks, um, looks like to be more of who we were made to be and um, how we can love others and love God um, and be, be more connected to all of that, um, all of those people in a, in a different, more whole way. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of God, how did all your experiences losing all those people and going to therapy, how did all that influence and inform your relationship with God? Yeah. Well, um, the very first person that I knew the best that passed away um, was my dear friend's mom, and she was actually our Bible study leader in middle school. And so she was this really kind and tender woman. Um, and I was with her about 30 minutes before she passed away. And in her hospital room, um, I just remember her holding my hand and um I don't remember the words she said to me, but I remember like feeling God's presence so powerfully in that moment. Um, like the light was kind of shining through these like sheer curtains on the wall um, over the window. And um, it was kind of dim in the room. And yet I felt very much alive. Like there was like a presence in the room more than just us. And so there, I've had lots of experiences since then. I mean, probably at least 10 where I've been with people right before they've passed. And um, 
those honestly are the times in my life that I have felt God's presence the most, um, most recently. So kind of bookending that middle school experience up until, um, this past spring, a year ago, this past spring, when I was in the thick of writing my manuscript, um, my mentor passed away. Actually, I ended up dedicating the book to her. Her name is Bobby Campbell. And, um, I, I tell people a lot that while I was in her room in the ICU, um, and she was in a basic, she was non-responsive, but I was reading her, um, a few of our favorite authors like Madeline Lingle and Ann Voskamp, and there was a connection there with her. Um, and I really feel like it was one of those thin places that people refer to, like God is mm. kind of pulling back the veil and heaven is like meeting earth in a way that we uh, don't normally get to experience, um, you know, on just your daily random moment. And um, I think because of that, that feeling of his presence being with me in those really sad and hard and heavy times, um, I have not been able to deny his um, presence in my life just in the daily grind, you know, in the mundane moments where mm. um, I feel overwhelmed or frustrated. It's I go back to those really rich times where I was about to lose a friend or a family member, um, at least on this side of heaven. And I uh, am confident that he is with me, kind of no matter what I'm uh, mm. getting ready to enter into. Yeah, that's powerful. And you can't deny those experiences. I've had, since my mother passed away, in fact, just earlier this, earlier... In 2019, I had a kind of transcendent spiritual experience, you know, and it was with my mother. Um, it was, and it's difficult. I've, I've talked about it on this show before, mm-hmm. where I was in a I was in a church, uh, a contemplative service, singing some Taizé in yeah. French, and my mother spoke fluent French, and I was getting the words wrong, and I kind of was laugh, started to laugh almost at her laughing mm-hmm. at me getting it wrong. And it was like, I can't explain it other than, I, it was just almost like I was, everything else just disappeared and it was just, yeah. and I only realised this afterwards because I was so caught up in it that I was yeah. still almost in it, even though, even when I was travelling home and I was still in this kind of, like, yeah. disconnected thing. And then I started to journal it and I was like, oh my God, you know. And so those things happen and when they happen you can't deny them because they're real. Mm-hmm. It's so good the way that he meets us. So one of the things I talk about um, a lot is just how God gives us what we need, even when we don't know what we need. And um, I think he does that in the form of manna, just like he did in Exodus um, for the Israelites. Like every single day they woke up and they were provided what they needed. And I think that God is so creative that he does it for us. Um, in really unique ways that are tailored just for our needs. So like for you in that moment, I feel like that is God's way of like whispering to you, like I see you and I see your pain and I see um, your heartache and your longing and I see what you need. Um, and, and he did, I mean, he was so specific, right? He did that in the mm. form of a French song, like yeah. and helped you feel connected to him in this, like you said, transcendent moment that um, for me, that song might have not have, have had such an impact. It might have been a beautiful song, but it wouldn't have been that specific to me as it was being in, in your yeah. mom's English, yeah. right? And it was like, and I didn't realise this until I had to talk about this with you, but yes, God was present in that as well, because I, 
yeah, obviously I'd been thinking, oh yeah, it's me and mum just having a conversation, but obviously yeah. God must have been somehow present yeah. in that as well. Um, and I've struggled with my relationship with God, like yeah. really, really struggled because of childhood trauma and then losing my mother yeah. and like really difficult to trust God or believe that he loves me and I still struggle with that right yeah. now. Um, Jesus, I have no problem with. <laughs> I have, yeah. I, it's like it's really strange the dichotomy of like I feel really close to Jesus and really trust him and feel real solidarity with him um, yeah. and intimacy with him. But with God, I, it's the complete opposite. But yeah. it's interesting as you talk about as I talk about my experience with you and how you describe it. Yeah, yeah, that was an experience of God, not just of yeah. my mother. Yeah. yeah, well, if we really, you know, if we really believe that any any good thing here on this earth is um, that he's got, he's in it, right, then that would make sense to me, um, that he was kind of all up in that whole situation with you. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It was, yeah, it was an amazing, amazing moment. <laughs> um, yeah. It really was, yeah. Um, mm. Well, I would call that a man a moment. I have a whole hashtag about it on Instagram. <laughs> well, that's but really interesting because it brings us to your book, you know, um, which yeah. is called um, In Want and Plenty, Waking Up mm-hmm. to God's Provision in a Land of Longing. Um, and it's kind of about that, I guess. It's 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 about those moments where God steps in and provides and speaks to us and gives yeah. us what we need. So, I mean, tell us about the book. Sure. Well, yeah, I think the concept of in want and plenty is that you can hold both at the same time. So we can still find the manna and we can still find the provision when we're aching and when we're longing and we're in want, um, but we can also find it um, in the abundance and the goodness of God. And there's a lot of times that we just we just want one or the other, or we think we can only have one or the other. Um, so I use Exodus as a um, kind of metaphor um, with kind of our human struggle, just like the Israelites, um, or similar to the Israelites, I should say, um, where we are kind of fumbling around in this world, like you said, trying to figure out how we can trust um, what the Bible says is a good God in a bad world, right? Um, and so I, I ask the reader to kind of delve into not only their own personal story, but also kind of the grander narrative um, of the gospel that is demonstrated also in Exodus. So you've got kind of um, spiritual slavery leading to uh, a rescuer that comes in that delivers us. And, um, you know, you see that kind of foreshadowed through Moses and the Israelites in uh, the book of Exodus. So there's kind of a few things happening throughout the story I use, um, or throughout the book I use, uh, some counseling uh, clients as I do some composite stories where I've sort of blended some um, clients together. Mm. So I'm not giving away anybody's name or identity. Um, and then I, I kind of share some things from my personal life as well. Um, and then that kind of helps the reader to really dig in through some narrative journaling questions into their own story. So I like to say, and Ellie Holcomb actually says this in her endorsement, but that it's not necessary a light light and airy read um it's definitely uh you know a deep dive into um our story to our past to our present to our future and 
you kind of have to be in a, in a committed space to be willing to go there and do that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Absolutely, you have, you have to be. You have to be ready to do the work. You do because it, it, it is work. Doing that kind of thing is, you know, it's a process, and it and it. And I think you alluded to this earlier. Like it, it never, it never really ends. It's just an ongoing process. Like I've been doing this, like for the last four years, doing a lot of inner work and, like, ch- not just changing how I, what I believe, but how I believe and how I think, and yeah. you know, building mindset practices and mm-hmm. rhythms and neuro pathways to get myself to be able to move yeah. in and out of pain, so that I can deal with it, so that it doesn't control me. I can actually go to the dark places and then come out again. Um, And the thing that's happened is that I've then, after I've dealt with all the big stuff, which was like losing the parent and the childhood trauma, then I've I've been able to go to deeper levels, things I didn't even know were there, wounds I didn't even know I had. And it's just like, oh, right, I see, this is how it works. So you do you deal with one layer, then a whole other layer just gets exposed. <laughs> like a whole other thing I didn't even know yeah. was there. Like, um, and yeah. it's kind of when you've done the work, and I'm and I want I'm saying this to the, to the listeners as well. Like, mm-hmm. you you get to a point where you where these things keep coming up, but also you don't. Even though you know it's going to be painful, you're almost, you're also kind of like this is really great because I can deal with this, yeah. and I know I can deal with this. And I've got practices and everything to deal with this, and I'm gonna, and I can get healing and I can get free, you know. So it's yeah. almost like, yeah, it's gonna be painful, but I welcome it almost. Um, so I want to encourage people, and this book yeah. is a really good tool for that. Mm, I hope it will be. I, I believe that it is. It's it's pretty much what, um, what I've experienced through my own own therapy and what's worked for me with other people as I have counseled other people and. Uh, what you were just saying actually made me think of, you probably can't see my video, but um, <laughs> we have a picture on my wall in my office that's almost directly in front of where people sit intentionally because it says um, that it, it always gets darkest just before the dawn. Oh, I love that phrase. Yeah. And, you know, it is. It's, when you decide to delve into your story, you're making a choice that things are going to get messier before they get better. And they might feel feel darker and heavier before they get better because you're digging up things that have been suppressed for a long time. We live near a lake, and I always tell people that metaphor or analogy of, um, like, if you're pushing down a buoy in the water forever and ever and ever, like, eventually you get tired of doing that. Like, it's always going to pop back up, you know, that little piece on top of the water. And, um, and I think that when we're trying to push it down, we that's when we can get lost and get overwhelmed and get stuck and paralyzed. And obviously that's not where we want to stay. We might have to feel like we're there for a little bit, but then we can sort of start to get our head above water um, and be reminded of what is true and what is good and, and find hope again, um, kind of out of that, that space. Yeah. And the metaphor that you use of being in the wilderness, being, you know, in Exodus, I love that metaphor because it, Mm. one of the things that I've been talking about to people is the valley the wilderness is not empty we always have this idea of the wilderness being this empty place and it's just us there Mm -hmm. having to deal with all our you know bad stuff but actually it's a it's not and I was talking to somebody else about this like it's not it's not it's not an empty place there's people there 
and we can gather and we can eat together there and we can we can have solidarity with each other there we can support each other there um we're not alone in that place Mm. it's such a good point because i don't know about you but as i share my experience and my grief and my pain with other people they start to tell me theirs and yeah. so you do really realize, like, if, you, if we just have our, our face looking down at our own self, we do feel very alone. But as soon as we start to, and my pastor says this a lot, as soon as we start to look up and look around at other people around us, we realize, oh, wait, there, there's actually a lot of people living in this desert and wilderness space. Um, and if you look at the Israelites going through Exodus, I mean, they, you know, they left Egypt actually pretty set up pretty well. God, like enabled them to plunder the Egyptians. So they had like all of their stuff, like the, of value um, that they were kind of toting with them through the desert, which is kind of funny to think about. So there's abundance there. And then you've got the abundance of the manna and then there's the quail. And then there's like the water that comes out of the rock. And um, then there's even the, the 10 commandments, which you think of that being like restrictive, but I actually talk in the book about how um, the abundance that comes from that, those boundaries and the hemming in of the parameters that God gave them because he knew that they were going to need that in their culture um, to be able to experience full life and not just like indulging in everything that they wanted. Um, and so, I, yeah, I love that you made that point. And then a friend of mine, too, when we were designing the cover and the illustrations on the inside, we were thinking about these blooming cactuses, cacti. Oh, um, yeah. And if you research it, she was telling me that it actually takes I don't remember how many months or even years for a cactus to bloom, but it's a while. And I love that image because we really do, um, as we're delving into our stories and doing that hard work, um, we're going to get to see a bloom eventually. We're going to get to see the growth and the goodness that comes out of that hard work um, and really that surrender, you know, to God. Um, But it might be a while. Before yeah, we really, really get to see the fruit of, of that labor. Absolutely, yeah, it is a long process. And the other thing about it, um, which we've talked about already in a way, is there's no kind of destination. There's no like, oh, I've done all the work now. That's it. That's yeah. it. Everything's okay now. It doesn't right. work like that. <laughs> you, you get no. through. You get through one part of your pain and your trauma or your grief. Mm-hmm. And then that's done, and but then a whole other thing starts coming up, yep. and you have to go to that place as well. So you're always working on it. In a sense, we're always in the valley, yeah. like, in one sense. Like there's a reason. Like mountaintop mo- moments come, but they do. But rock climbers can't stay at the top of a mountain, or they'll die. <laughs> true. You I can't you stay read. at the top of the mountain. You have to come down again. Like. <laughs> I can't not talk about my favorite book right now ever <laughs> with what you're saying. Um, but Hind Feet in High Places by oh, Hannah yes. Herndon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's it's an allegory, and some people can't get through it because it's, like, so slow. It's, like, this slow, grueling process through this crazy terrain, and, you know, but, but you're right. Like, once she gets, her name is Much Afraid, once she gets to the heights, you know, to the high places, um, she does realize, oh, wow, I have to turn around and go back down into the valley again. Like, that's actually where I can also find abundance. And that's where the people are. And that's where, you know, that's what real life is. 
And um, so, yeah, we get to have these mountaintop experiences. We get to learn a lot from them. But then, you know, what does it look like to re-enter back into um, kind of the the war land that we we live in? And I say that just thinking about, you know, kind of the spiritual realm of what is happening here on Earth every day. That's right. That's what the day-to-day work of life is. Yeah. Um, and you know we're putting we're we're putting around, and sometimes we think that the valley is dark and there's nobody else there. And because we're dealing with difficult stuff in the, in the valley, or the yeah. or the desert, yep. um, we think that there's no one else there, and the darkness can kind of blind us. But yeah. actually, there are people there. Yeah. Um, and you know, misery loves company. So maybe one good point is like we could find people who are in the desert or valley and. Um, just want to all kind of hoard together and complain and despair about life and how hard it is. Um, or, which, and I think this is what is so beautiful about um, the promises of God found in Scripture, is that we can remind each other of um, hope that we don't necessarily feel or see ourselves. But we can have other people sort of speaking into that. Um, it's a lot easier for me to see hope for other people than it is to, for, to see hope for myself. And so I need those people in my life um, to be able to remind me of what is true. Mm. Yeah, I think we all need people, those people in our lives, don't we? It's so important to have solidarity and community yeah. as we go on our journeys and to not do it alone because we don't have to do it alone. Um, yeah. Um, and the other thing as well that I've been learning about darkness mm. is we often see darkness as this evil thing. Mm. The darkness is evil and light is good. But someone made this really good point to me. Like we're all, but darkness is where the, is where life begins. So, in the womb, it's dark. Yeah. Where a baby yeah. grows up in its mother's womb, it's dark. It doesn't see the light mm-hmm. until it's born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so life is new life is birthed in darkness, mm-hmm. and it's almost and it and it, I feel like when you go to this this valley or desert place and it's dark. That's a place where new life is born. That's a place where, and almost like, and I love the I love the term regeneration, because parts of you die and other parts of you are um, given birth, um, and you change and you grow and you evolve and you become a truer version of yourself. Yeah, um, it's so true. I think uh, the hard seasons of my life and. The times where loss and grief has been kind of the heaviest um, are the times where I felt the weakest and felt like my greatest need for, um, well, really for God, because he's the one that's going to, has sustained me in the past. And it, it, you know, it is the one who's going to continue to nourish me and give me what I need through whatever comes my way. And um, sometimes I forget that and it doesn't feel like it, like he's there. Um, but he, he's doing a lot of cultivation in my heart, um, even if it feels painful. Like if it, mm. he's like weeding out the junk in my life and in my heart, um, it ends up, it's, it's this pruning and this refining that you end up get to, getting to see the beauty on the other side of it. Mm. And, even, and even in it, really, which it sounds like the point you're making, right? Like that the dark, heavy is not, uh, not the worst thing ever. Because there is a way out, and the light does does always tend to penetrate it. Yeah, I mean, you can only see the light really in in the darkness. Yeah, 
you can see the light more clearly in the darkness, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it um, does make sense. It's um, very true. So uh, one thing I'm interested in as well, how did writing this book and the process of it, how did that how did that provide healing or growth or how did it impact you? Yeah. It has been honestly a very brutal process. <laughs> so <laughs> um I don't regret it and I hundred percent think that this is what I was supposed to do. Uh, but there were definitely days where I felt like this is too much. I cannot finish. I cannot keep thinking about all the things I'm having to think about to put into words, you know, about my own life, about my clients' lives, about my friends' and family's lives, um, because it was making me face everything head on, you know? It was, I had to really grapple with some really big concepts and really big ideas of things that really are lifelong questions that I'm I still have questions about. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and then you have to turn in your manuscript and then somebody edits it and, you know, you're asking all these questions of like, do I really believe that? Like, how is that actually playing out in my life? And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting when I was sitting in this chair, you know, writing it, uh, for a lot of it, I would have these moments where I would get really distracted and I would, um, not be able to actually write the book. And I would want to do things like write songs or listen to music or I'm, I don't paint, but I would love to have painted something like, you know, a canvas or something um, because I needed like different outlets to deal and cope with all the things that were being stirred up inside of me through the process of writing the book. So it's been a very emotional time. It's been, um, you know, I was trying to balance like family life and my counseling practice and writing the book. Um, so I've, it's, it's been more than I could handle myself to uh, kind of shift in and out of those roles. And so really, I think to answer your question, I have had to lean into God and his strength um, to help me do it. Because otherwise, I, like, I 100% believe that I would not have been able to finish the book based on just my own merit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's never easy when you're writing a book. Yeah, resistance um, resistance does come mm. upon us. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, and the more important the message, the, the more resistance there'll be, mm. I think. Uh, I think that's, mm. that's, a, that's, a very, that's a very good rule to live by. Um, mm-hmm. If something really wants to be told, then there'll be more resistance. <laughs> yeah, I need to remember that for sure. There's a good amount of resistance. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, and what is your real hope for the book? What are you, what are you wanting the book to do in the world? What are you, what are you hoping for other people to get out of the book? Yeah, well, I think it, maybe the theme of our podcast today, you know, part of it has just been that we're not alone. So if somebody can read, you know, even the the prologue you know, the beginning of the book and and somehow realize that they're not alone in their story and what they're dealing with. It might not look just like somebody else's because we all have our unique story um, and that there is hope to be found no matter how dark it feels and no matter how uh, out in the middle of a desert and stranded they might feel, um, that there's more to the story, that there's a bigger story um, that we are all a part of. 
um, then I, I think that I would have done my job. Yeah. Has it impacted your, your practice as well? Your, um, milk and honey practice? Has that, mm-hmm. your professional life, is it kind of writing the book brought something to that? Yeah, for sure. I think um, this one concept from Exodus came to me when I was writing one of the chapters um, of how God sees the aerial. He has the aerial view. So he's sort of, he Mm. can see so much further ahead than we can. And he even can see behind, right? Um, Mm. Actually, just thinking about that right now in this moment. But we can't remember everything from our childhood, especially when trauma has been involved. And uh, he sees all of it. He sees the full scope. And so when I sit with people in my office, I do feel like I have been reminding people of that more often, that uh, whatever it is they're bringing in, you know, if it is um, struggle in their marriage or anxiety or depression, eating disorder, addiction, you know, all the things, um, he he already knows how their story is going to play out. And um, there's an odd comfort to that, that we can somehow surrender um, and find rest in that truth and that reality. So I really have tried to extend that to my counseling clients, I think, as a result of digging into that concept deeper in my book. Mm. I love I love how Jesus seems to make his way into your counseling sessions as well. It's like so often people kind of distinguish between therapy and Christianity or religion, whatever, spirituality. But you seem to have found a way to bring them together in a way. Um, and that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, and I, I just, I'll make it uh, just to clarify, you know, I would say probably 60-40 as far as like people that come into my office and have a relationship with God and those who don't. And so we're not always necessarily talking about God unless people bring it up and want to. Um, but I feel his presence in the room and I get to have a front row seat of seeing his pursuit of people's hearts um, in in these big questions that we ask in a in a therapy session, which is again, who am I? You know, why am I here? What is my purpose? Why do I feel the way I do? Like, who's behind all this? Like, who's in charge here? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it inevitably ends up, I think, pointing us back to our Creator and how we ended up here in the first place. Um, and what went awry, and where the hope lies. So it comes up without being explicit sometimes. Mm, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, because I have a spiritual director, and she's also a qualified therapist. Um, yeah. um, so therapy, there's therapy kind of techniques come up in some of our meetings, and mm-hmm. some of our meetings mm-hmm. become therapy sessions, even though there's spiritual therapy. You know, So it's really interesting... Good dynamic um mm-hmm. the way the, what you're talking about yeah and it's really great you know because yeah. like you say it's all about those big questions you know who am i what am i doing here you know um what's life about um yeah yeah um so it's been a really great conversation <laughs> and i really, I really thought, enjoyed it yeah yeah and um you know i've had a chance to read part of your book um but i'm looking forward to reading the rest of it when it comes out um in january 2020 um i'm excited to read it um and just one more thing like what is 
What is the one thing you would want to say to somebody who's going, who's just embarking on that journey into the desert, into the valley? Um, yeah. What would you want to say, a word of encouragement or solidarity? Yeah. I think it really does come back to, um, you know, you're, you're not alone in this. And if you're willing to let other people come along the journey with you, uh, whatever that might look like in your life, then there is hope to be found because, uh, and I think you made this point so good during the podcast, uh, that, you know, in these desert places, we, there's something to be found. Mm. You know, there's truth and there's light to be found, even if it, if it looks bleak in front of us, um, none of it's wasted. It's all working towards a grander purpose in our life. And the, you know, that purpose is for us to feel more connected to God, more connected to the people that we love and, more in tune with who God has made us to be. So it's a reclaiming of our identity um, and really a rewriting of our story. So it's mm. worth it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, so where can people connect with you online and where can I get the book? Sure. Um, well, the book is kind of anywhere books are sold. You know, on Amazon, we've got some independent stores here in the States that you guys might not be able to get to over there. But uh, depending on who's listening, uh Really, just my website, MeredithMcDaniel.com, can show you all the retailers. And then I love to hang out on Instagram and kind of capture some beauty in those little squares. So that is, um, my handle is Meredith underscore McDaniel there. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Meredith. And, um, yeah, I'm excited about the book. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I really hope this is encouraging for you. And uh, take care, and I'll talk to you all really soon.